Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. And they're going to be places of healing, places of restoration. I don't need any more music, man. We're already in heaven, so I don't, no more. No more. I'm good. I got to come back to earth here to, to get into the text. God is so good. So, so good. There's certain moments where you just like, where do you go from here? You know what I mean? And there's an urgency on my heart that what God wants to do in this church and, and in the church globally. And I'm starting to see like some sparks. And when we start to see the sparks, rest assured, there's going to be a fire. But here's the thing is, is like, as a people, we can't make the fire. Only God can send the fire. But our mission and our job in this thing is to keep throwing wood on the fire that God has started. So if we'll continuously begin to uh, put ourselves on the altar... And begin to put ourselves in the position. We don't have to conjure up and make the fire, right? Like we, don't, we don't have to do that. We don't have to stir up the fire. The Bible says to fan the flame. That's our part in this. And so I want to just encourage you that when you begin to see the fire, just make yourself an offering and just make yourself available. And if you'll continue to do that, God will set this place on fire and he will blaze. He'll set the city on fire. He'll set everything on fire. But... I love the scripture that we read. You know, when we started this God's favorite house, um, I started it thinking, you know, okay, we'll probably just do this a couple weeks. But y'all remember that scene in The Matrix? And if you're too holy to watch that, I get it. But I, I, did, I did watch it. And there's this moment where Neo and Morpheus uh, are together. And he's like, hey, man, if you take this red pill, I'll show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Or you can take the blue pill and go back to sleep and just live your little life, right? And what a thing, right, to be in. And so I got red-pilled when we started this God's Favorite House thing. And I'm like finding like, oh my goodness, this rabbit hole goes way deeper than I thought. So every week I'm like, oh, it looks like two more weeks. Then I'm like, oh my gosh, it keeps going deeper. Okay, maybe two more weeks. Okay, maybe two so this thing has opened up uh, a whole prophetic view and a whole prophetic lens of what God's doing in the earth. Because if you want to know what God wants to do, you can look at the beginning of what he was trying to set up in Eden. And this is really what he wants to do. He wanted to create a place on earth where humans and him would co-labor together with his presence and in that overlap of the spiritual and the physical of heaven and earth overlapping, that the humans would steward it so well that the Garden of Eden wouldn't just be this little pocket of glory, but it would actually overtake the entire earth. And we know how that ended up, right? Not so good. But that it doesn't mean that God scrapped that plan and he was done with that plan. 
it means that he began to put another plan into place to begin to create that reality to where heaven and earth would collide again. Humans would co-labor with God and steward it well, and it would eventually overtake the entire earth. Like that is the destiny that we are called to. We're not called just to go to heaven. That's a great thing. I love that. I want to be there one day, right? But if you read the end of the book, it's about heaven coming to earth. It's about a city coming down and descending and setting itself here so that the earth is redeemed, that the earth becomes whole, and, and, and that God wipes every tear, and He heals every hurt, and He does everything. So our job as the people of God that God is living in is to actually usher this reality down to earth now where that people can have a foretaste of the thing that's to come. So you, my friend, are a sign pointing to heaven. You are a sign of the good things of God for people to look at so that when they would see you, they would want to be where you are at. And so the Lord is asking a people to begin to step into a responsibility of the presence of God, of stewarding that presence, of beginning to press into the things of God so that God could come down and begin to point to the nations how good His final plan is going to be. And like that is our destiny. That's who we're called to be. We're called to be the place where heaven and earth intersect. Is that okay? Yeah, that's your destiny. And so that's why this series is all about we cannot settle. We've got to realize what God's house is, what it looks like, what God likes so that we can attract more of Him, that we can want more in His purposes, that we can begin to press into the things of God in new and fresh ways so that the nations might see the light of God and say, I want to get in on that. Like That's our destiny. And so in this I love this text that we read because it's the only time the Lord in his heart wants to rebuild something that has collapsed and fallen. And it's kind of crazy, right? Because of all the things that the Lord built as far as his temples and the places that he would like to dwell and have, um, you know, we like having God encounters. But you know what? I think God likes having man encounters. Right? Like when I play tea party with my girls, they're not the only ones making memories. Can you have a heart to believe that God is that interested in your life? If you can, He will. And, and, and so I think God is not just, we're not just looking for God encounters. I think he's looking for man encounters and women encounters where he can come down and begin to create memories in his own heart that would begin to sow the purposes of God in our life and in this world. And I'm serious about it because God wants relationship. That's what he's all about. He's all about removing separation. And so what's so strange about this is that there's this tent that has fallen down. This hut. In our translation, in the uh, some years might say tent, some say, but anyway, it's a, it's some say booth. It's a rudimentary structure. You ever been camping? How many of you are ready to get back to the real physical building of a house? I mean, it's fun, right? 
And now people call camping bringing a, bringing a house on wheels somewhere and pulling it in and plugging it in and having showers and everything. Okay, that's not camping. I grew up with my dad. My dad is not going to buy nothing on wheels that's a house. He's going to put up an old army tent that he found at some yard sale. And we're going to put these aluminum poles together that don't even fit right and don't do right. And we're going to have this army tent, and that's how we're going to camp. That's how I grew up camping on Low Freight River down in Arkadelphia, Arkansas. That's how you camp. And you build a fire, and you throw a skillet on it. And you put some spam in there. And maybe some fish you caught from the night before. And you got to do it all like that. Like, that's what camping is. You got to check your trot lines with a lantern, and you got to go at night every couple hours, and you got to check your lines and all that. That's camping, okay? But that doesn't appeal to our modern sensibilities. Because we want a house on wheels to roll up and just walk in and go, Woo, I am camping. And now they got this thing called glamping. I'm like, what? I don't even know what's going on in the earth now. But that ain't camping. So don't tell me you're out camping on Washita and you in a metal house on wheels watching TV with the internet and everything. That ain't camping. And everybody poor stood up and said, Praise God, he's right. Now, if I get to the place I can get one of those, I'm going to probably get one of those. But... Yeah. All right. Got that off my chest. So the thing that God wants to rebuild is actually rudimentary. It's, it's simple. It's a booth. It's a tent. And it's the only time God wants... Like, like I would think... You remember when Kentucky Fried come up with the extra crispy? Y'all know what I'm talking about. And you showed up, and they said, you want an original recipe? Or you want extra? Crispy. I said, what's that extra crispy? I thought the kernel spices was why we adding to that. And then have you ever ate that crispy, wonderful chicken? You'll throw that original soggy recipe in the trash. Now, some people didn't like when I said that there, but that's okay. I mean, Popeye's got them beat anyway. <laughs> Unless there is a, a high up from KFC here in the audience, we love you. There's the tithe bucket. We appreciate your chicken. And we love everything about what C Colonel Sanders stands for and his Taco Bell affiliate. Okay. <laughs> but I like that crispy chicken. Uh, but... So we would think God would want to pull out the original recipe, right? Because here's what's so crazy about this. When this rudimentary tent gets stood back up, something happens. All of a sudden, the harvesters who harvest in April and May, the harvest is so big they can't finish until October when the plowman's supposed to show up. And the plowman shows up in October and says, wait a second. You guys get out of the way. We got a plowman like we can't. The harvest is so great, we can't do anything with it. You're going to have to wait till we get done with the harvest before you can even plow. And if you've ever planted anything, y'all know the spaces, it never works like that. 
So there's something about this rudimentary tent that gets raised up that brings about a supernatural blessing where it's so rich and deep that grape juice is just flowing from the hills and people just got buckets just catching grape juice like it's water. See, what God likes is not always what we like. Because I would think if God was going to say, raise back up Solomon's multi-billion dollar temple. He didn't say that. He didn't say, get back to the original recipe. Moses' tabernacle. It's like, I want to see Moses' tabernacle back up. No, what did he say? He said, I need David's tent. I need some people to restore and lift up David's tent that has fallen in the earth. See, God has a favorite house. And it's not the houses we think it would be. It's the house that we would think is irrelevant, transitional, and we just want to skip over that one because it's not impressive. See that in David's tent, God said, I had man encounters in that tent. In that house, I had memories. That lasted me a lifetime. In that tent, a praise went up and filled my nostrils that was so sweet. I'm still thinking about it a thousand years later. Oh, come on. Come on. Have you ever been homesick? Whoa, somebody just got homesick right down here. Sneezing for too many allergies down here. I get it. You ever been at homesick? God got homesick for a little simple tent (laughs) where the people's hearts were so hungry for him. (laughs) And that's what God's wanting to do. Like, you know, he gives Moses this elaborate plan. I mean, he came up with that plan. Moses didn't invent that, right? Moses goes up on the mountain. He's like, all right, here's the house I want you to build for me, right? You ever got to pick the house you could build, right? Uh, I never got to do that, but some people do it, right? You get it to do exactly how you want, you know. And so this is what God does. He calls Moses up on a mountain and says, all right, here's what I want it to look like. I want it to be this color with this kind of tapestry or uh, these woven fabrics. I want it to have uh, a 15-foot wall. I think we got a picture of it, Miss Tammy, the first pick, I think. We'll see. Maybe, Okay. It's not on there. Okay. Um, We have a separation between several different um, departments or different compartments to where some people can go and some people can't. Um, This 15-foot wall around the entire thing. And there's just kind of this uh, very um, separated and very um, departmentalized kind of thing and really only one guy can ever kind of push through and get to the place where God's presence actually is Um, because in this place called the most holy place was a place that um, where the ark of the covenant was and this was the place where God met men okay 
But he only met one person, and it had to be the high priest one time a year, and there had to be all this blood sacrifice and all this other things. But this kind of box was like, it was kind of like, it's called a mercy seat. So it was kind of like everything about the tabernacle was to be a picture of heaven and what heaven was. And so this was like a type or a shadow of what the worship was like and what the, what the throne room was like in heaven. And so this was like this access point or this hot spot to where heaven came to earth and where these things kind of connected and where they found each other. And so this one guy could come in one time a year, kind of offer blood, and then might get to get a glimpse of the presence uh, of God. So it was like there's two cherubim facing each other on top of this box. They would offer blood onto this mercy seat, and that would be this access point to where God would come down and would grant pardon to his people Israel and begin to engage with them. And it's said that there's this blue flame that would be shining or be lit between the two cherubim, and this would be the place that people would talk to God. This would be the place of conversation of where things would take place and a conversation that would really be not just words, but it'd be like revelation, okay? And so God tells Moses exactly what specifications, how long, how high, how far, how big, how deep, how wide. He tells them all these different things. And when he tells them all these different things and, and puts them all together, Moses builds it exactly to the specifications. And so like this is what just kind of tripped me out because I'm thinking, God, you came up with that house. You came up with that pattern. Why would you not want to rebuild and re-raise that? But there's this kind of strange thing that was in the temple and it was there for good reason. But it separated men from the presence of God and it was called a veil. Now, when we sit here, veil, we're thinking wedding, right? Um, so we're thinking this thin thing that you can actually see through. You know what I'm talking about? This was not see-through. This was sewn together and was about a hand's breadth thick. It took, to get the color and get the dye, it was so much fabric, it took thousands and thousands of a certain kind of snail to get a red dye to begin to dye this uh, ornate veil. The veil had pictures of seraphim on it. Again, it's just like a picture of the throne room. It's to, it's to give people that kind of serious and it, uh, serious thought about it. And it's a hand's breadth thick, so it's that thick. I mean, just it's hanging on this curtain. Took hundreds of people to lift it up to even put it into place. So it's not something you just like could stumble into, right? you're not going to fall into it and fall into the presence of God. You, you had to be purposeful and to get this heavy-duty fabric and just really almost will your way in there. But again, only one person could do it one time a year and really get in. And you know what I've found about the Lord and what the secret that David found was that the Lord does not like separation from His people. God don't like it. He doesn't like it. God isn't looking for weekend visits. He's looking for full custody. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen there? Now the weekend's visits will make your life a lot less complicated. And it'll cost you a lot less. 
But you'll never press into the glorious good things of God until you learn what it is to be fully His. So when these things were all put together and and all this stuff, God said, yeah, I know I told you how to build that house, but that ain't really the one I like. The one I like was one that a guy whose heart was right built that I didn't give him any specifications for. This should show us how us, when our heart is right, can move the heart of God, not to change Him, but to make Him open in a way to pour out something that is supernatural that is actually ahead of schedule, right? Because here's, here's everything that God has put on the earth or the tabernacle, all that stuff. You know what it was? It was a sign. And to have a sign... You've got to have a thing. Now here's what people do. Here's, here's, here's where our hearts get messed up sometimes. Sometimes when God's doing something, it's a sign. And we go to the sign that's a thing. And we start worshiping the sign instead of the what the sign's pointing to. It would be like this. You're trying to get to Dallas. And you stop at the sign that says 300 more miles to Dallas. And you stop at that sign and you go, Woohoo! We're in Dallas! Let's go! Hey, let's take pictures by the sign. You ain't in Dallas! You're stuck because you're worshiping a sign. So everything in the tabernacle was a sign pointing to a greater reality that would take us beyond the sign and into the original thing that God would have us to walk into. See, some people are so caught up in the signs that they miss the Lord altogether. Some people are worshiping the miracle or trying to get the miracle, and what they miss is the miracle worker who's doing the thing in the first place. Some people are chasing manifestations, and those things are great. I love manifestations. But God is greater than a manifestation. God is wanting to get us back to focus on Him and His presence. And if we'll get our eyes on Him, He'll do the rest of the stuff that we are asking Him to do. It's like the Lord is saying, don't get stuck in the sign. Look what the sign's pointing to. That's why the Bible says, signs and wonders followed those who believed who? Jesus. And we're chasing signs and wonders. And guess who we're leaving in the dust? (laughs) King Jesus. Have you ever read the Bible and said, man, Israel is so stupid. But then have you ever looked at your own life and said, I am so stupid. Because everything, even the good thing, can become a distraction. That's why the Bible talks about the iniquity of holy things. When a holy good thing becomes a God and a tradition unto ourself that actually takes our eyes off of Him. It would be like if The Bible talks about it like this, especially in the book of Hebrews, of types and shadows. And I'm so surprised at the people of God, how they love to worship types and shadows more than the person himself, right? 
It's like, you remember, uh, okay, we're going to get really deep theologically here. Are you ready? How many of you ever saw Peter Pan? <laughs> Do you remember when Peter Pan showed up and his shadow got away from him? And he asked to chase his shadow around and sew it onto his foot so it'd stay put where he wanted it to go. And I'm like, Man, that's just like the people of God. We act like our shadows are real. But you know all a shadow is is an absence of light? It's not really a part of you. It's just a place where that's a, a manifestation of because you're standing between it and the sun. <laughs> so it's like when the sun is shining on you, why are you turning around? And going, oh, my shadow. And you know what I find about a shadow? It moves every time I move, so I never can really catch it. Come up here, Em. I'm going to embarrass you this round. See, Em, what if I said, baby, it's Valentine's. And this shadow is looking so good. Oh, my goodness. Hey, can I lay by your shadow down here and just spend some time with you? Oh, this is wonderful. You know, we hadn't really got to talk like this in a long time. You know, shadow, I just, uh, I love you. And, you know, you don't talk much. But I know you hear me because I got faith that even though I don't hear, you're still there. <laughs> and some of our faith looks like that. We ain't heard God in 10 years because we're so caught up in a shadow or a type or a sign that we've missed the face of God altogether. And as silly as that is, that's what it's like when we, hey, get back here now. I'm trying to get the real thing. But why would I settle for a shadow when I got the real thing? Why would I do that? And so David understands something about the heart. You can go sit down. Love you. Thank you. David understands something about the heart of God. Where he says, oh, the tabernacle, that's not rules. That's just telling us what God's like. I can grasp the revelation and press past the moment in time that I'm in and pull into the future and go into the future with my faith and pull in a time that's ahead of where I'm actually at and actually pull heaven back to earth and go before the actual time that I'm in. Because only one guy was supposed to look at that thing, at that box with the presence of God. It's the high priest. But David's tent, you know something about David's tent? One chamber. One chamber. Solomon's temple, two pillars made of solid gold. You know what the pillars were around David's tent? No. People. Worshippers all the way around. You know, what does the Bible say? The church is the pillar and buttress of truth 
I might have to Google that later so you can get there. <laughs> the pillar and buttress of truth. What's it talking about? What does the Bible say that we are the temple of what? God, right? Temple of the Holy Spirit. It's like David, a thousand years before Jesus, went, oh, I get it. I understand God's heart. I'm going to operate not where I'm at, but to the place God is showing me in Revelation. And I'm going to go forward in my faith, pull that reality back here and operate in a grace that is supernatural and that is ahead of schedule. Is that okay? Is this getting too weird? I know it's like time travel here. Faith time travel. Uh, Because here was the thing. You know the only thing ever said about David? Uh, is said about David that's not said about anybody else that David was a man after God's own heart, right? So I see after is two ways there. David is a man after chasing God's heart, but also like this, David is a man who has a heart like God too. That he's not just in pursuit, he's the reality of the thing as well. So the first thing David does when he gets into power, do you know what he does? He says, where's the ark of God? Where's it at? Oh, it's at Obed-Edom's house. All right, let's go. Let's go get it. And he goes to get it with some cows pulling it on a cart. (laughs) Now, didn't bother to read some of the instructions that said God's ark and presence got to be carried on poles with four of his people. That the presence of God must rest on his people and that we can't outsource it to technology in order to have it come in. Almost broke out in hives right there. Because a cart is easier. And it seems to be more efficient. But God isn't worried about easy or efficient. He wants the weight of his presence resting on the shoulders of his people to bring it in. So David brings it in. And David is pumped. Uh, Hardly anywhere in the scripture do you see David dancing. But the one time you see him dancing... Is when the ark is coming into the city. (laughs) It's like the presence of God moves him more than anything else. And brings a king that is dignified. And then makes him say things like, I can even get more undignified than this. It's like. It's like David's heart is so after the presence of God. It's like it's all that matters to him. It's like if the presence isn't there, David is not interested. And so David raises such a bar of praise that he is dancing. And I don't know, you have to get a Hebrew scholar in here, but he dances until some clothing falls off. I'm not sure what it is. I'm sure he was still covered and modest. Uh, You know, I don't know. But something come off and he's like in a nightgown or something at some point because he's so intensely... Uh, worshiping the Lord and worshiping God. And there's someone from the window who looks out. And 
Her name is Michael. And uh, this is David's first wife. And aren't you glad for second chances? And um, she looks out and she's embarrassed by David. She's embarrassed by his worship of the one true God. And she begins to utter some shameful things towards David. But you know what? It never moved David's heart. <laughs> and here's what I'm finding. Is some people care more about their dignity than intimacy. And that's not a shot because we're all more, a little more demonstrative or left than the other person. But intimacy isn't just demonstrative. But my deal is like, if God gets down in your soul, I'm sorry, but I get a little more, bit like Jeremiah. And I'm like, oh, there's a fire in these bones. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Like, how do you cage that in so well? Like, Not that I want to know, I'm just, I'm just saying. Um, so David is just so, and so David gets to do this kind of cool thing where he gets to have a tent and move the ark of God in this tent, in this structure. And he stewards the presence of God. But, but, but you know what's so cool about David? is like David, I mean, think about this ark. This is pretty cool. Um, this ark had within it, possibly at this time, uh, the tablets of Moses, which that's pretty cool. That's a good little artifact, right? I'd like to have that. Hang it up on the shelf, okay? It had a jar full of the bread that came from heaven. It had a rod in it that was a cut-off almond branch or uh, just some, some kind of sapling that Aaron used for a staff. And it had a budding rod a live dead rod inside of there and but you know and it was overlaid in pure gold but David wasn't interested in the artifact David was interested in the blue flame of the presence of God that rested between two cherubim on the mercy seat and that's where David's heart was after. And see, sometimes we can get caught up in the artifact or the worth of something and not gaze our eyes into the reality of the presence of what God is trying to bring into our life. Because David had enough gold. David could have built another box. Maybe even a little better. But David said, I'm not worried about those things. I want the presence of God. I want to bring the presence of God near to where I'm living, where my life is. This is what, this is what God loved about David's tent. And he said, David's tent barely qualifies as a makeshift shelter. When compared to Solomon's temple in the tabernacle of Moses. Yet God said, I want to rebuild that one. I want to rebuild that one. That David's temple was somehow propped up 
And something that's propped up and, 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 and God's saying, I want to restore David's temple. I don't think it was God's plan for it to ever fall down. That you know why I think it fell down? I think people quit being interested in the presence of God. And started to be devoted to other pursuits. And so slowly David's tent falls down. But here's the cool thing about God. God says, hey, I'm looking for some people. (laughs) I'm looking for some people that will set some poles for me. And stretch out the fabric again. And maybe stretch it a little bigger than it was last time. And start to stretch and move and post and put up and and begin to start something new. That God is looking for some people to take the initiative that will put up the poles, stretch the tent, and begin to rebuild something that is in the spirit of David. Because you know who Jesus is? He's the second David. He's the greater David. He's the king priest that can operate in both realities, in authority and in access. But here's the beauty. Do you know who he's raising up? A nation, a kingdom of priests. A nation of kings and queens that are priests that have full access just as God did. Is that getting, I mean, I'm excited about that. I mean, that's cool. So then Jesus begins to step into this reality uh, before his time. And so Jesus walks in and, and he's with his disciples. I think this is John 2. And the disciples are they're amazed at like how wonderful this temple that Herod is building. And they're like, wow, look at that. And he hears them talking and Jesus goes, oh yeah, the temple in three days, that thing will be, uh, it'll be tore down in a day and in three days it'll be rebuilt. And so they're, you know, when God speaks something to us, like we, we were like, yeah, right, God. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're like, okay, God, don't you know, Jesus, that it took 46 years to build that temple and they're still not finished? And you're telling us that in, three, but did you know what he's saying? He was like, you've got your eyes on the wrong temple. And what is the temple? The place where humans meet God. So Jesus is saying, we're moving from that reality to a mobile tent that is walking around with you that is full of the fullness of God and that is full of the presence of God and I'm the new meeting place of God. That you don't have to wait for a drafty corridor or a door church door to open. That if you call out on the name of Jesus, like you're there, you're, you're in the throne, you're at the meeting place of God. And God is moving us into this reality. He's trying to move them into this reality. So here's what's so cool about it is when Jesus says that, he's basically saying, I'm the new meeting place of God. Now, here's what's cool about it. That must be the restoration of David's tent. That when Jesus was pinned up on a cross, stripped of his hide and bloodied and naked and shamed, And put in the ground that in three days, the restoration 
of David's tent begins to manifest. And now the meeting place of God is raised back up in an eternal Davidic reality. Oh, it gets even better. That when he goes in and offers the blood once for all, no more blood, okay. He offers the blood once for all. The reality then becomes we go boldly into the presence of God and have a hope that is anchored behind the veil. Which means that we never have to leave. The only reason we do is we just choose to leave. So the reality then moves from Jesus becoming the meeting place of God to you being the meeting place of God. That you're the temple of God. See, Jesus isn't just creating that reality. He's saying you're the reality. That you're the tent of David. You're the king priest that's being raised back up. And as we get in here and we begin to worship him together and as we begin to get those poles up and begin to lift our hands up into the air, something of heaven begins to open and begins to create a portal of the overlap between heaven and earth. And I know it kind of seems like pie in the sky, but this is just Bible. It's just the Bible. And you can't see it with your eyes. You can only see it with this guy. This guy's how you see it. But this was the reality of what God was wanting to do. What God did. And now God's waiting for some people to get a hold of it. So then you see these little glimpses from David, especially in the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 134. And we're landing the plane. Thank you for being patient. Psalm 134, verse 1. Attention. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. Who serve in the Lord's temple during the. Okay, so there's a clue here for us. Lift your hands toward the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, bless you from Zion. So there's something you need to know that when David moved this tent in that just had one chamber, you know what the first thing he did was? He put on payroll 200, this is in the scriptures, I'm not making this up. He put on payroll 288 musicians and singers to minister unto the Lord night and day before the presence of God. Well, we're getting there, Joel. Chill out now. (laughs) By the height of the rain, he had on payroll. Imagine this. Washington, D.C. got a tent out on D.C., And there's praise and worship for 24-7 for 36 years straight. Think about this. This is what was happening. It was a governmental reality. It wasn't like church and state. It was like no church. And get this. 4,000 
on payroll from the king 24-7 ministered unto the presence of God in the Davidic temple. So I believe Psalm 34, I could see David getting up in the middle of the night. And he goes to a window and he sees the tent. And somebody's feet shuffled just right. And he sees a glimpse of that blue flame. And he goes, oh, yeah, stretch your hands towards it, guys. Because that's what's going to preserve us. That's what's going to give us divine wisdom. That's what's going to bless our nation. That's what's going to do everything we need done. Like, that's the answer. It's not the gold box. It's the blue flame that God's put in every single one of us that love Him. So get out of who you were. Get out of what you've done. He's already paid for that. Step into the new thing. You are the tent of David that he wants to raise up and bring the blue flame back to every sphere of life that you've ever been in. That's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to do. You know what? I think David was there looking through that window and he was like, wow. I can't let them have all the fun. And David takes off his kingly robe. I'm going to need some help, babe. Get over. I'm going to need Bathsheba to... Wait, that's kind of bloated, isn't it? Sorry. Uh, sorry. Yeah, that did, we did not get together like that, okay? There was no murder. None of that, okay. Um, and he said, you know what? If I go down there as a king, they'll notice. So I'm going to go down there as a priest and change my garments. I'm going to put my authority aside and give my authority to the one in whom it's all about. And I'm going to go into this place and I'm going to stand next to the priest in disguise so that I could gaze into the blue flame just a little longer. And David gets insights that nobody else gets. When Jesus is on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we think Jesus is thinking his dad turned his back on him. Not true. Psalm 22. He's pointing them saying, what's going on here? It's Psalm 22. David sees it a thousand years before it happens. Psalm 16, David talks about a resurrection. There was no theology for a raising of the dead. David gets privy to things that are before his time. Before Psalm 16, he talks about the resurrection. Psalm 2, David writes about a coming king that's going to be the son of God and is going to rule the nations with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces and be in charge forevermore and kiss his hand when he comes because, you know, he's going to be the guy. Psalm 2, thousand years before it comes to pass. Why? Because David was in a worship lifestyle. And as he mused into that blue flame, God started giving him revelation for his life and the plan that God wanted to do in the earth. You know why the church is so clueless and we fall into every trap the enemy sends us? Because we've not mused in the blue flame and waited for God to speak and give us direction for our life and for everything that's around us. And this was the spirit that embodied David. 
because there's not another character in the scriptures where it said this nine times in the story of David and he inquired of the Lord. Not even in the New Testament you're not going to find that. And he inquired of the Lord. Was his lifestyle. Was his lifestyle. So God's looking for an old army tent that's got rips in it, needs to be patched. Some aluminum poles that don't fit just right, but that know how to get those arms up and get those eyes up and say, God, I just want the blue flame. I just want the blue flame. Let's get you to the buffet. So what I'm saying is, is that Jesus is the meeting place of God. And his resurrection is the lifting back up of David's tent. And then he calls us into the reality and says, no, you're the tent as well. Uh, See, God's got this thing about the heart. He's not really concerned about the outside. He's really concerned about the inside. Because if he can get a man's inside or a woman's inside, oh my gosh, if he can get that blue flame to rest just just a little, just a a pilot light. (laughs) And then Holy Ghost put the gas on that pilot. Like, I'm just telling you, like, crazy awesome things could happen. And David walked in a way that broke all the rules. David was hungry and he went to the tent. There's a table full of bread. Showbread, holy. Baked fresh every day. Throw it out. Nobody gets to eat that. That's unto the Lord. David said, man, I'm hungry. Man, we ain't got no bread, Dave. Just a showbread. Oh, that'll work. David, you can't eat the showbread. No, no, I, I, I take care of it. I love a good pita. You got some hummus back? Oh, okay. Why? Because he wasn't caught up in the sign. He knew what the sign was pointing to. And what did Jesus say? I'm the bread from heaven. Eat of me. And you can, and he got, oh, yeah, yeah. That's, oh, God's the bread. Yeah, yeah, give me that. He, he wants me to eat that. And the priests are like, what is going on? And that's what some of us do. We see somebody really pressing into God, and we're like, man, you ain't got to do all that to learn the Lord. And it's like, no, dude, maybe you do. Maybe you do. And maybe if you did, you would experience breakthrough in your life. So David eats it and says, hey, I'm still alive. <laughs> and then he writes a song. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He writes that beyond the time he should have been able to write it. 
Why? Because revelation points us into the reality of the thing and doesn't keep us stuck in the sign of the thing. Somebody comes in here, man, you wouldn't lie in church. I said, man, you are the church. If you're lying outside, you are. You're just desecrating that temple. See, we want to outsource everything to something else. God's like, no, you're it. You're it. You're David's tent. It ain't this place. Much as I love this place. It's where we come together. It's special. But you're it. Tag, you're it. That's what Jesus has did to us. You ever had that happen? Tag, you're it. Oh, but God, this person, no, tag, you're it. Oh, but this person's got better. Tag, you're it. You're the reality. You're the meeting place of God for anyone in your life. Why? Because Jesus is in there. And you say, oh, oh, this right here, this is just a temple. Let me tell you about the one that's in it. Don't get caught up in the temple. We take the glory for so much stuff that God's doing that people never get to see Jesus and what he actually done. And it's like God's just saying, man, you're a raggedy old booth. You're a raggedy old army tent. But you know what? Let's make some memories in there. <laughs> That's where I want to be is in flesh. In brokenness, in humility, in not perfect, in authentic, in real. Would you stand to your feet with me? Oh, Lord, we love you, God. You're so cool. You're so awesome. You're so just wonderful. God, restore David's fallen tent. God, raise us up again in every area that we've let fall because of discouragement, because of doubt, because of fear, because of failure, whatever it was, Lord, that made us drop the pole and give up on our divine destiny, that we are the meeting place of God. We are the carriers of the glory of God. We are the image of God in the earth. Whatever it was that blinded us to that reality, God, strip the scales off. Remove the satanic blindness that has kept us from seeing the glory of God in the gospel and what Jesus has done to bring us close, to bring us near, to bring us in on His plan. Open blind eyes today, God. And let us see again. Let us feel again. Say, I don't have much, but you know what? You do got enough. You got a heart to put at his feet. You got a heart to put at his feet. You got breath in your lungs to give him glory. He's equipped you to be his, his, uh, his high priest in this earth. He's, he's equipped you to be his king and, uh, and queen in this earth. Like He's equipped you for all that. It, looks, it doesn't look like the nations. It doesn't look like the Gentiles. It doesn't look like what we think it looks like. But real authority, it just washes feet. It's not consumed with itself. It can serve again and it can love again and it can pull people near again. Jesus, let a spirit of deliverance just begin to fall in this place.
let it fall in this place. We love you, God. We love you, God. We love you. We love you. Would you lift your hands in the place? Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.